You're listening to the Community Action Podcast, Building Opportunities for All, brought to you by the National Community Action Partnership. Hello, my name is Denise Harlow. I am the CEO of the National Community Action Partnership, and I am pleased to welcome you to episode four of the Community Action Podcast, Building Opportunities for All. Today we're excited. I am joined first by Tiffany Marley um, from our team who is going to be co-hosting with me. And I am so excited that our guest today is Dr. Gail Christopher. Uh, Gail was just with us in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago. She was also with us a couple years ago at our national conference. Her focus is certainly on um, her, her work in truth, racial healing, and transformation at the W.K. Kellogg Foundation is how we first intersected with Dr. Christopher. She is now um, on her own at the Antianu Center for Healing in Nature, and where she is continuing her work in being a national change agent on tearing down our nation's hierarchy that has been based on race historically. And in Community Action, we are so excited to have you be part of our work and helping us guide our future direction in this space. So Gail, thank you, first of all, for being with us here today. I am honored and privileged to be with you all. And I am a fan and a friend of Community Action Partnerships, so it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And I know folks in the field, um, if you're listening, to have someone of Gail's stature say that she is a fan of Community Action is always warming to the heart. Let's jump right into it. Okay. Um, racial healing. We know in New Orleans, you, we, we had a, a racial healing circle be conducted. You, you framed your comments about how we as a society need to be moving forward to tear down our, our history that's been based on this hierarchy based on race. Can you talk a little bit about why now? Why, why is racial healing the right approach for this moment in our nation's history? Well, thank you for that question. And when we you know, started this work in terms of the Kellogg Foundation, it was way back in 2007. Uh, my background is in healing. It's in holistic healing. And so I naturally bring that frame to any problem that I tackle. Uh, so our first body of work in this space at the foundation was called America Healing, recognizing that both the trauma and the stress that comes from being exposed to the racial hierarchy, recognizing that we need to honor that, but also creating a frame that acknowledges that we are splintered or divided unnecessarily. I define uh, racial healing and the particular methodology that I've developed for it is called RX racial healing as the prescription, so to speak, for, and that's, if we don't use the medical definition of prescription, we say it's just advice given with authority, you know, and I think that the authority for racial healing is created by the context in which we live, where there are just needless and expanding inequities that can easily be racially described, right? And so, and they don't get better. Now, we've had a civil rights movement of which I believe CAP is a major legacy, a positive legacy of that movement. We, back in the you know 1800s, we had a civil war. We've had legislation, we've had litigation, we've had Supreme Court decisions. We keep dealing with the symptoms, 
But I believe the work we've yet to do, the unfinished business, is dealing with the undergirding cause, the undergirding permission. And that is this absurd notion of a hierarchy of human value. So when I talk about racial healing, it's the process whereby we uproot, we dismantle, we get rid of that fundamental belief that gives us the permission to treat people so much worse than others, you know, to hold up barriers to opportunity for some people based on their physical characteristics. It's it's a notion, it really is a belief, you know, it, it started way back in the 1500s. Uh, there's a wonderful book out that is called The Definitive Guide to Racist Ideas in America, and it's called Stamped from the Beginning. And the author's last name is Kendi, K-E-N-D-I. But it is the definitive guide to how these ideas sprang from where they sprang and and how they were codified. And he does a good job of telling stories in it. But what we're dealing with is an idea. We need to replace that fallacy, the idea that humanity can be grouped as a taxonomy with ascending and descending value, with the simple truth that we are a sacred, interconnected, and expansive human family. In truth, we all trace our ancestral genomic lineage back to Africa. We all do, you know, and so we just have to take this idea that we're so separate and so different based on this hierarchy, and we just have to jettison it. And I, I'm a Star Trek fan, so <laughs> so I, I, I believe in let's throw it out, let's jettison it into space so that it never comes back again. Well, make it so, Gail. That's Absolutely. So there you go. Ah, speaking to another Star Trek fan. <laughs> exactly, I love it. <laughs> exactly. And the name, again, that was stamped from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I know our network always adds to their reading list. Yes, yes. So that's a good one to put into the mix. And he's a wonderful, wonderful writer. Uh, Ibram Kendi, I believe is his name. He's right here at American University. So, yep. And it is that tie back to healing. You must yep. jettison before you can truly heal and the concept of healing and I'm not a healer or come from that um, training background but sometimes you are stronger after you've healed absolutely medicine of, of a disease or the bone or things like well, that well and that's a wonderful metaphor because in order for a bone to heal without deformity the bone has to be reset you know it has to be set right yeah. and so my my way of thinking about this is that we have to set our country's core value right, our capacity to embrace one another equally. That is the setting of the bone, if you will, so that we can heal without deformity, so that we can go forward as really to realize the aspirational goals of America, which are, you know, that we're all equal and we have equal opportunity for life, liberty, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Right now, that's not true. And uh, so that's the work. I've been so um, encouraged with the progress that I've seen. I've actually been doing this work all of my career, which brings me to the center that I now have created and run. Entianu was the name of my firstborn daughter, and she, I lost her when she was a three-month-old infant. And of course, we never really get over these kinds of losses, and so all of my career 
centered around helping women to have healthy babies and not lose their children needlessly. And that just led into all kinds of work in the health inequity and health disparity space. But I always wanted to honor and memorialize her memory by creating this center in, in her honor. And the name Intiano means noble spirit. And so that is the center. And we are focused on healing. Uh, we're focused on giving people an opportunity to experience the healing power of nature. Uh, we're set in a space with three acres of forest and artesian springs and a large artesian uh, spring-fed pond. Some people call it a lake. And, you know, being in nature is, is healing in and of itself. So we offer classes and workshops, but we also, when the weather permits, you know, invite people to experience the embrace of nature. Well, it sounds wonderful. I know we're going to have members of our team join you, I believe, later this spring um, at the center um, for some intensive training. So I know we're looking forward to that. You talked about um, if you're setting the bone, you need to have the setting around it to make sure it's growing straight. Part of me wants to think that the Community Action Network can play a role in moving our nation forward. And we've been talking a little bit about that here earlier today. Could you talk a little bit about how you see our national network of a thousand local agencies touching the lives of 15 million people a year in every corner of America? Can you talk a little bit about how you see the value of that network in this work? Um, First of all, I'm just so excited as we contemplate the possibility that this vast resource, right, which grew out of the civil rights movement, the Community Action Network, that it might be mobilized to take us to the next phase of the work. And the next phase of the work is racial healing. And you have a seasoned, respected, comprehensive, uh, diverse network around this country that touches almost every corner to for your community to understand the primacy of of building trust and building relationships of racial healing. And the outcome of racial healing is that, Mm -hmm. that we see each other wholly and fully. We embrace each other as brothers and sisters. We create the beloved community that Martin Luther King envisioned. And so to imagine that this, this, on the ground, frontline network. You know, you're not, I mean, I know there are academics and there are many people involved, but when I think of community action partnership, I think of people in communities helping families not only cope, but thrive. And so being able to leverage and mobilize that human resource to envision a future without racism, Mm. not just Mm -hmm. without poverty, but without racism. I mean, I just get goosebumps thinking about it, you know, so I am, I am very hopeful that we can uh, mobilize the needed resources, that we can attract the needed resources to do this work. And it it seems like the work of the 21st century Mm -hmm. for an organization with the kind of legacy that, that, that your organization has. Well, and Tiffany, I know um, you've been in and around community action a long time as well. Um, do you are you also seeing that the opportunity in our network? I, I find that people are hungry uh, to take a lead role in in changing our world. Um, hearing what Gail is talking about, thoughts that you'd like to add or things that you'd like to put on the table? Yeah, and so what I would offer is the the time 
is now. Mm-hmm. And just as community action um, was the, the movement all of those years ago, community action is still the movement today to move families and communities forward. And as we think about just what some of the, the data is even saying, mm-hmm in terms of of the 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 impact on children of color mm. uh, as it relates to poverty and the fact that the number of children of color within our society is continuing to also grow uh, we, we have to be forward thinking in terms of just the future yeah. of, of our nation and we want that future to be a thriving future for everyone. And so it says that we must bring uh, new ideas. We must bring innovation. We must bring intention uh, to our work in a way that humanizes and validates and empowers everyone. Mm-hmm. And so it's an exciting time mm-hmm. for us as we do um, what we do as a network and we are we are called to to lead in our communities and we really we're called to lead our nation in this mm-hmm. world i love the fact tiffany that you emphasized the demographic uh, you know some people talk about the future uh, that America will is, is in the future there will be a predominance of of people of color. I have to remind folks that that's now, today. Most of the children under, you know, age seven or five even are children of color, and almost most of the children uh, are over that. Most of the children in America are children of color. Now, won't it be wonderful when that doesn't really matter, when one's complexion or one's uh, degree of pigmentation or the lack thereof is not a predictor of life opportunity, but right now it is a predictor, you know. And so to reinforce what you said, Tiffany, that's part of the urgency of doing this work now. If you don't do it for altruistic reasons, if you don't do it for the love of humanity, which is why I think we should do it, do it for self-interest. You know, mm-hmm. if, if we don't enable most of our nation's children to have opportunities to be educated and yes. to work and to contribute to the economy, what kind of economy are we going to have? You know, so there are so many imperatives for this work to be done and to be done well now. There are economic imperatives. You know, there are imperatives in terms of the security of our nation. Uh, I, the Council for a Strong America is a group that we partnered with in this work, and and they were uh, the first to point out that it's a national security issue to make sure that all children thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a national security issue to to address the inequities and the health challenges, to create healthy meals in the school, to provide opportunities for early childhood education. We need a thriving, healthy population, both in terms of the workforce, in terms of our security. It's just in our best interest as a country. Now, Some people would say, well, you know, we don't have to deal with racism to do that. 
you know, and my response to that would be to look back on, I believe it was Einstein, they say it was his quote, which was that, you know, to keep doing the same thing in the same way mm -hmm. and expect a different result yep. means that you might not be operating with a full deck. Now, of course, I've modified that quote, but it is crazy, you know, and I, I, I return to the notion that we've never really pulled up the notion of this belief system and gotten rid of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I've read a couple of books about uh, ideas that shaped America, you know, or the greatest ideas. And I'm always astounded that they don't mention racism ever in any of those ideas. There's a book, How We Got to Now, you know, and it talks about all the things. How we got to now was through enslaving and decimating communities of color. Mm -hmm. That's how America had its meteoric rise to being the most powerful nation in the world. It would not have happened, but for four centuries, at least two uninterrupted centuries of free labor, uncompensated labor, and the confiscation of the lands of indigenous people. So, but we had an idea in our, in we, I say we because I'm part of humanity and I do that because I think it's important not to create a dichotomy, you know. Uh, America had permission to do that because they believed that certain people back in, in ancient times, really back in the 18 and 1700s, that they, we weren't really even human. Uh, and of course, those ideas, were refuted by science, but we never really officially refuted those ideas, you know? And so when we think about the vision, you know, I would love for children to be told in school, we, there was a time in our ancient history when we believed that, but we know that's not true. And this is how we changed our nation to reflect this new set of beliefs that we, we embrace now going forward. Well, I think we're going to take a break here, but okay. we will come back and talk about today going forward. We want to get to our future. We want to figure out how do, how do we in community action, how do we as a country move to the future that you just kind of put on the table. So um, hang with us, folks. We'll be right back. And um, I hope you enjoyed uh, the first part of today's podcast. Community Action Partnership is pleased to be hosting our first Immigration Summit this spring, April 3rd through April 5th. We will be in El Paso, Texas. We're going to be exploring and undercovering the realities of individuals and families who are navigating the immigration process. We are going to take a tour over the border into Mexico as well and really try to engage in a conversation about how Community Action is engaged in helping families, the entire community, thrive in our country. You can find out more information at communityactionpartnership.com. Click on events and go to Immigration Summit. We hope that you'll register today. Okay, thank you for coming back for the second half of episode four of the Community Action Podcast, Building Opportunities for All. Today, our guest again is Dr. Gail Christopher, and I'm also joined by Tiffany Marley, our Director of Practice Transformation. Uh, Gail, before we move in, I just want to reflect for folks on the on who's, who are listening today. Um, it really, we're talking about racial equity. We're talking about um, tearing down over time. Um, hopefully, with the work of community action, our country's historical setting of a hierarchy based on race. 
in our country. We want to move to an equitable society and the partnerships board has been very intentional about incorporating equity into our mission, vision, values, our purpose as an organization. And I'm just going to put out here that um, our first value statement that our board has adopted. We believe all people should be treated with dignity and respect and recognize that structural race, gender and other inequities remain barriers that must be addressed. And I will say, given this point in time, it is February 12th today as we record this. We know that the state of Virginia has been going through a very public um, display and dialogue about race and our history and our country's history around a hierarchy based on race. And when you look at community action's desire to ensure a more equitable society. Um, why? What do you see as the opportunity now? We know we're in a very challenging environment. Never has been a non-challenging environment. So where do you see us today as a country and as a community? Thank you for that question. And thank you to your board and your leadership, to each of you and your leadership of this organization, that you have asserted a value that aligns with addressing this fundamental fault line, so to speak, in our nation. Uh, I think we're at a turning point. Another book that I highly recommend, uh, it's called Rising Out of Hatred. And the author, I believe, is Eric Saslow. Uh, but it is the story of Derek Black, who is the son of Don Black. And Don Black was the head of the Ku Klux Klan. And they raised this young man to inherit the leadership of that entity, the Klan, let us be clear, which has morphed into what they call white nationalism and the alt-right movement. Well, now, Derek was a brilliant young man and very technologically savvy. He was homeschooled, and he worked very closely with his parents and created the website Stormfront. And Stormfront was the mobilizing website for the tragic uh, March of the Unite the Right in Charlottesville, Virginia. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying all of this by way of sort of establishing the context to answer your question about Virginia. Let us be real. Virginia was the seat of the Confederacy. Uh, Virginia is sort of the the central point, if you will, of this glorification of the fallacy of white supremacy and a racial hierarchy. So it should not be surprising to anyone that as late as the eight of the as the 1980s that graduates of medical school were making fun or seriously embracing uh, the notion of blackface and the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, it, it isn't a surprise, I'm sure, to many of the African-Americans in Virginia. It is a disappointment because they had embraced that governor as someone who stood with them and for them. And so there was a combination of shock and disbelief and a sense of betrayal. That said, uh, I said when I first heard about it, either this governor is a poster child for personal transformation or he's hiding in plain sight. And I don't know him well enough to answer that, but I, it is possible for people to transform their consciousness and their beliefs. And I think what he wants to communicate is that he 
has transformed his consciousness and his beliefs, and he no longer adheres to that ideology, but he could use some coaching in how to express that more effectively. But but then his peer, I believe it was the attorney general who said, oh yeah, I wore blackface too. And what you what you get in that dialogue superficially is these two extremes of narratives about what that means. You know, the level of insult and literal psychological pain that that causes the people of color is not even adequately understood or perceived by those who have confessed to doing it, you know? And so it speaks to this chasm that has to be crossed and it speaks to the need for the healing. Um, I think that the immediate cause for resignation and the outrage, while it's perfectly normal, uh, it may not be the way forward in the sense that we really do have to understand that that ideology, and I guess that's what this moment tells us, that that ideology is embedded in our country. To go back to that book, Rising Out of Hatred, it is the story of this young man's transformation. He disavowed that ideology. He wanted to change his name and go live a life in anonymity, but he was reminded of the harm that had been caused by the uh, rapid and, and strong proliferation of that belief. This is not about, it, it is like the title of the book says, we must rise out of hatred. We must rise up out of permission and the capacity to devalue people. Because when we devalue others, we simply devalue ourselves because we are mirrored in each other. Uh, love is the most powerful force in the universe. I honestly believe that. And we can learn to love one another and to move together from a place of compassion. We can have compassionate responses to people seeking asylum. That doesn't mean we don't have secure borders, but it does mean that we treat them as human beings, that we treat them as we would like to be treated. Uh, I'm a new grandmother. And I cannot even bring myself to imagine the trauma of these families who have sacrificed everything, seeking help and hope to have their children taken away from them. There is a level of cruelty in that that's beyond my capacity to imagine. Uh, and it is not right for our government to be the perpetrator of that kind of cruelty. That's my opinion. You know, uh, so that's why it's urgent that we move now and that we stand up and assert the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah. It seems daunting that healing can be something that we can move toward as a society, given where we are today. Give me hope right there. <laughs> give me, we'll, we'll move into a moment here to talk about more generalized healing your, your work in, in that space, but give me, give me our window now. It's, it weighs on the soul. How do, how do we move forward? What are some of the words of hope that you can give to me, give to our audience to say, we're here. The opportunity to move here is there if we, if we grasp at that opportunity. What comes to mind is my first trip to South Africa post-apartheid. 
And the people that I interacted with were so loving and so full of grace and so open, you know, and they greeted me with full eye contact and they were kind and they were generous. And, you know, I'm from America, so I was like, how are you all so, so filled with exuberance and hope? Look at what you've been through. Look at what you've experienced. And to a person, they would look at me and they would say, we have a country to build. This is our country. And it just really, I never forgot it. You know, uh, they said they did not have time for the anger and the rage and the hostility. They had a country to claim, to reclaim and to build. And, you know, I think that's where our hope has to lie. It has to lie in knowing the gift that we have of this great country and in a sense, our responsibility to the world to continue to allow these aspirational ideals of freedom, you know, of integrity, of the hope for equality, to stand as a beacon that says this is possible. Now we have to look at our wards. There are there are many, you know, and as I described earlier, we've done a lot of harm. But to be able to say that we acknowledged all the harm that we did and we set about to redress that harm, to create equity and fairness, now that's something, you know, for America to do. That's a place of leadership that we have yet to occupy. And I think that that's what gives me hope. And I believe we will do that. Well, in Community Action, we believe that we are an army of optimists that the world is always moving forward and that arc of justice yes. is bending forward in the right direction. Tiffany, um, as we think about, we have to close out here momentarily, what would you add to this conversation, question you'd like to pose? Where do you, where, this moment, can you give me your sliver of hope as well? I know you are an optimist at heart as well. Well, Dr. Christopher, you said it best at our management leadership training conference. You said that a key part of our prescription is love. Mm. And that really stuck with me. And I think it really resonates with who we are as a, a, a network. If you look at our logo, it's the huggy heart. And so we are the people whose arms are extended and we have been audacious enough to say that we're willing to make room for everybody in the community so that their lives will be changed and ultimately so that we would all change in a way that we can all thrive. And that is very encouraging to me and I hope and we hope that it motivates all of the listeners today to, to take to heart what you have said and for us to begin to build and to cultivate new possibilities and a new way forward. With the leadership that I have seen and feel in this room, I have no doubt that Community Action Partnership <laughs> will continue to play that role in our society quietly without needing to to get a lot of credit the credit comes from the success of the families and the 
the healing, if you will, of communities. There is no question that the ultimate human imperative, other than survival, but even with survival, our imperative as, as human beings is to be connected to other human beings. We come through this world, into this world through connection. All of our instincts as infants are to assure that that connection is valid. We as human beings have an imperative to connect with one another. And one of the tremendous harms of this fallacy of racial hierarchy is that it interferes with that fundamental human imperative. We can call it love because that's what it is, but this capacity to affirm our interconnectedness, our, and I like to use the word sacred because it is sacred, it is special. Uh, it is our gift that we can connect as human beings from a place of affirmation and love. So we have to keep doing it. We have to keep saying it. We have to say no to the to the absurdity and the division and the hatred that is espoused. We have to turn off cable television and listen to these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to share the vision of the partnership and I hope it's a vision that every, all of our listeners share um, that we envision a nation that really creates opportunities for all people to thrive, build strong, resilient communities and ensures a more equitable society. We will take that human imperative to be connected to each other. We do care about the entire community. You know, we are dedicated to helping people help themselves and each other. So thank you, Gail, for helping us, um, helping support our work, guiding us, teaching us, and we look forward to learning more um, and what you're able to share with us. So just thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you for all you do for our country and for our world and our family. It is my privilege. Thank you. Thanks everyone for being with us on episode four. We hope to see you again soon. Take care and, and have a great day. Bye-bye. The Community Action Partnership offers a variety of training and technical assistance to local community action agencies and their partners. I hope that folks know that we offer webinar Wednesdays. Every Wednesday at 2 o'clock Eastern, 11 Pacific, we offer a free webinar that really tries to engage participants in a discussion about effective, innovative practices to address poverty. Upcoming topics include work and education, leadership, career pathways, and community assessment. I hope that you will look for more information at communityactionpartnership.com events. Log on and register today.